We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Otter Worlds, now a licensed subsidiary of Here Be Tigers. Today, we're going to be messing around with one-page RPGs. We've played them in the past. We've interviewed people about them in the past. Today, we're going to be trying our hands at writing a few. This is a bunch of novices who have never done this before, hammering away like monkeys with a rock. I will have you know I am a lizard person. Thank you very much. We wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) All right. So each of us has brought an idea to the table about what kind of game we would like to make. I actually do not have a particular order in mind for how we approach this, but I think we could do our one or two line pitch each, and then we'll decide. That sounds fair. Before we go into the single line pitches, the premise, as it were, I think it would be helpful for the folks who aren't as familiar with what One Sheet Games are like to give them a brief intro. Uh, One-page RPGs are kind of a new-ish phenomenon in role-playing. Can't say they're that new. they got to be like multiple years old at this point. But instead of having to buy a book that's, you know, several hundred pages long, the entire game is contained on one, one piece of paper, both sides. And it describes a very, usually a very narrowly defined game with a very, very narrow in concept or setting Um, or in some other way, very specific. Varieties that we've seen in the past are Honey Heist, a game about a bunch of bears trying to steal a bunch of honey from a convention. There's there's, uh, one called uh, a post-game interview about a bunch of people pretending to be reporters asking a very tired sports star surreal questions. And the the list goes on. The advantage of one pages is you do not need to do a lot of research or thinking about it to set them up they are generally very easy to just start and play. The part of that is because a lot of the work in narrowing down the idea has been done in the design phase. One of the reasons I tend to like one sheets as a tool with which to experiment as an exercise is that they give you, to Dave's point, a very few or a few specific rules about what kind of story is told, what kind of world in which the story is told, and what kind of characters you play within those confines. So you have specific parameters, a designated outcome or a few different outcomes. There's an objective typically that you try to reach. And if you fail, whatever, it's a blip in the moment. You can play these many times. The results are often, I think, as we'll share Honey Ice later on in the season, immensely variable depending upon the players and what you interpret from the, I don't know if you'd call them thematics, but the the components of character, of story, of plot, of premise, right? So they're a great way, as with the Possible Worlds exercise, to play with what makes for a good story and fail successfully. Mm -hmm. No matter how badly it goes, you'll probably still have fun, importantly, and two, you'll learn something along the way. 
Uh, it is worth also worth noting that uh, one pages can be just about anything in the gaming experience. They can be your standard game of players against GM, not against, but, you know, one person leading the game and the players following. It can, it can be complete improv games. They can be cooperative world builders. Hmm. As we've done with, well, technically Quiet Year is no longer a one page, but Lasers and Feelings, one of the earliest, perhaps. I mean, you, you can fit the rules on one page if you want to get technical with it, like. What point size are you thinking? I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if you take <laughs> away all the lore in that game, it's probably a one pager. That's true. The only yeah. other thing is the only thing that ex- that compresses it beyond, or that goes beyond that compression, are the specifics as to what each suit on the deck means. But that's yeah. that's ostensibly an appendix, which is fine. Mm-hmm. The Lasers and Feelings, though, I do believe was one of the first games to do a, as to play as a one sheet. The idea being you had one die and two stats, lasers and feelings, and either you were good at lasers or you were good at feelings. I uh, I once did one, I think it was, what's that movie? Every, is Everybody is John Connor, I think. Well, there's there's the old Gale, the old game, Everyone is John. Sure. But you're, you might be thinking of being John Malkovich. Right. It's the game, yeah, because the game isn't Everyone is John Malkovich. That's a one sheet. I, I think I played one of that at one point to determine things for a D&T game. I, I just, I remember something about it and me summoning an orca or whatever. Very old memories. As a side note, I once found a, a gaming crew on a podcast that uh, did a variant of Everyone is John called Everyone is Joker. Oh. <laughs> things you wouldn't even have to invent new jokers. You could just take the archetypes that exist. Exactly. And that is what they did. I think that's a great example of Failing spectacularly because there's no way that crew accomplishes anything that is to the satisfaction of all parties involved. So without further ado, why don't we introduce our premises? I'll go last. So Andrew, do you want to introduce yours first or let Dave set the tone? Uh, I'll let Dave set the tone. You probably shouldn't call it setting the tone since these three games are going to be very different uh, as far as I can tell. Sure, more so setting the parameters for what the premise is like. All right. The my basic one is uh an idea I got from a stupid joke on the uh not, not stupid joke, but it's an idea I got uh from a uh play on words of the famous space opera game Stars Without Numbers. It's called it is much narrower focus though. It is called Stairs Without Number, a game of finding your finding your place and escaping your troubles down an endless flight of stairs. I guess for mine, it would be, because I was tossing around the idea before, uh, low fantasy Western, where the idea is more so trying to stop, trying to, you know, do a train robbery. And, you know, I was just about about to say, do you ever play the North versus South video game from Nintendo? No. That was a whole side portion of the game. You could just do a one sheet on that, but you took it. (laughs) But um, yeah, for bringing the idea I had for today, it would just be like uh, getting all the goods on a train robbery without hopefully dying. You get, you know, you get to the end, you get a little price. (laughs) Life. (laughs) Image of it being like a Snowpiercer-like train with some really strange cars. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking along with it too. Is that it's like, oh, it's low fantasy, but it's still like, you know, there's a, a Griffin on the caboose or something. I like it. So mine came out of conversations with Dave the other day as he was presenting the premise for this episode. And I forget the exact thing that led to it, but I was quoting some of the the chorus lines from the Monsters and Men song, Wolves Without Teeth, and then without missing a beat went, 
You know, that would be a fun one sheet for playing old beasts. So here we go. You'd still sink your fangs, but you've only the one left. So what makes you a beast? And I jotted out some notes accordingly, but our challenge, of course, was to pick one of these based on the premise. We will get to hopefully all three today. So which do we want to tackle first based on what we've heard so far? Well, actually, I would think a quick round would be that, we could, that uh, each person each person gets to ask a clarifying question of each of the other person's games. Sure. Let's do that. So same order as before. I would start with, uh, I guess the clarifying question is, are for, for Wolves Without Teeth, is the, the idea of, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to put this into words, but uh, is the idea that it's a bunch of like formerly, is it like storybook monsters or is it like, um, like there, there's a culture behind them already um, or that kind of thing? Or like these, are these like singular, like one-off monsters or are they part of a culture of... Right. Are we talking more the field Universal Studios monster universe or are we talking more of White Wolf style, in other words? Well, right. the White Wolf style is one of them. The other one could be these, they're all like weird, quasi-formless beings that went bump in the night. Yeah, no, these are these are these are not these are not camera. The first question I had, because often in one sheets there are a series of tables which you roll on or can pick from options to decide what you are for the sake of playing. The first question that came to mind for me was name your beast, the creature you were and still try to be. Okay. I hadn't fleshed out the table on that yet. I left it open, I think, for today. Because I wasn't sure if we wanted to go entirely like the or you are, you know, were bear or tiger wolf, et cetera. Or be a bit more loose, I think, as you're suggesting. No, well, that's that was my question: is if you had defined it down, because I could see, and it might be good. It, I could see this game either being a group of like, oh, hey, we are like actual werewolves and werebears and and things like that, sitting around a campfire, or it could be the boogeyman, the thing that lives within your nightmares, and the wolf baying at the door that are sitting around the fire, the big bad wolf sitting around the fire. I guess part of me was trying to figure out which whether it's necessary to cleave a direction on there or whether. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's just go around the circle then. So, like, uh, let's let Andrew ask a question, then you can ask the question, and then we'll do it again with the other games. Sure. Um, I've got a question for uh, Stairs. What is it? Stairs Without Numbers? Stairs Without Number. Yeah. Is the objective to get to the top or the bottom? I, I was a little confused on the objective. The thought I had was that everyone who is going through this, they may not remember why they're on the stairs. They certainly can't leave them as at least without reaching their, uh, without getting what they're there for, which is not very defined at this point. Okay. The general idea I had is that everyone's like, as you move through these stairs, you find locations, enclaves, you might have find like people, but you find an area that you have the opportunity to find what you're looking for in but your trouble is following you and you only have so much time before it catches up and you have to move on again okay so there there are landings but they're brief they're brief respites mm-hmm. they can and that and what that means is going to vary based on like how people run the game they could be you're there for a couple of days they could be you're there for a couple of minutes it actually could be the either one in the same game depending on what you find i think almost then you want a section on what on what a brief respite could be, or at least to, as with Wander on what seeds you could provide to start the beginning of a brief respite scene. A lot of times I'm thinking that you're going to find people on these stairs, but we should move on. I can describe this more. Oh, I need to send you the old infinite staircase to e adventure. 
<laughs> that is that. And there's an SCP and um, the book House of Leaves have all been inspirations to this idea. So there's a grand legacy you're building on. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Stair-based <laughs> horror. <laughs> grand stair. We're not going to have good puns on this episode today. <laughs> I, I mean, we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Indeed. You, Dave started us off with the uh, the outtakes of conversation about jelly beans. So. Yeah, basically. Jared, your turn for a question. I don't know what we're calling Andrew's game yet, because I do think, as with all of these types of titles for one sheets, they have to be evocative. Train, shoot, and magic. <laughs> we'll get there. So to... The currently unnamed Western game, one sheet <laughs> variety, dear dear Mister Creator of unnamed Western game, that I came up with like probably less than a day ago. Yes, hey, a lot of these don't need a lot of lead time to come up with. No, I, that's one true. Of things, that's one true. Of the things that came out of our conversation with Grant was how little time the original idea spent germinating. I think one of them was, in fact, Magical Schoolgirl. The premise. <laughs> so, the Wild West train robbery, if it's going to be focused specifically on the robbery game, I think I'd like to know what you're envisioning as the spoils, because it sounds to me from what you said, there are the things sought and there are the things attained, right? And they're not necessarily the same. So do you have an idea, at least now, what kinds of spoils, what kind of riches or treasures or wealth? And these can be specific, these can be material, they can be abstract, people might find on the train. I think it would be more so concrete wealth, but it's something like it wouldn't be something like, oh, you're getting your riches. It's more like, oh, you're getting like, I, I, I'm trying to think of it as it like, if each character, like one wants wealth, one wants power, one wants peace, it would be a physical representation of what they want. Well, so we're going Persona 5 style here. It's a nebulous treasure that seems to be the thing for each of them wants. Okay. My other thought was there's similar card games like For the Queen where the premise is to save and escort the queen, but the reasons why are discovered in game each time you play. So I was wondering if, for instance, there might be a set objective the group shares, but the things that... I mean, the, the set objective is to get to the end of the train, but the okay. actu- the hopeful goal is to get your Persona 5-style treasure. Okay, so then it seems like the system would require something that helps you design cars. Yeah. Okay. I was, uh, and I'll continue on because my next question is going to go to, to Andrew, which is, um, is, is, are you predominantly thinking like heist style? Like, is that going to be the, like the theme of your game or is Yeah, it- I, cause I was thinking of it also like with the magic stuff, it would be something like the characters don't actually have magic, but they like, they would find like, um, kind of like how Here to Slay does it, where they just have magic cards and it's like, oh, you get a card and you can do this magic ability or you get this thing and you can do set ability or you get, you get to roll on the table, that kind of thing. Uh, one thought that there's a follow-up that occurs to me is, are you thinking more like your high style where like sometime in the past, these, these um, characters have planned this out, or are you thinking more like Baron Munchausen style where like each of them has a special skill that will come into play? Honey Heist, for instance, does both. Yeah. Probably Baron Mun. It, I can't speak today, but the the latter style, yeah. 
Yeah, Baron Munchausen is based on a series of uh, grim fairy tales where there's like six companions, each of whom have like an utterly ridiculous quality about them. Not, not to piggyback entirely off of yours, because I know it's not my turn, but we don't have rules for this. It's not microscope. <laughs> I'm almost thinking that the framework for Andrew's game is the survivors telling the tale of their heist. Yeah. So it whether or not they had whether or not magic existed or monsters exist is irrelevant. You're hyping yourself up for the audience. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that a lot because it it, it, it gives you an unreliable narrator uh, me- mechanic, and it gives you uh, an element of you can kind of fast talk your way out, uh, like after the fact, out of a situation you find. And now there have been a lot of heist games that that you have flashback scenes that lets you, you know, go through and play around with that. You were actually, yeah, no, the, these are, you are, I, I love, yeah, I love <laughs> you're cutting forward. Why? Yes. That is my magic carp of underwater breathing in my pocket. Yeah, I totally, <laughs> yeah, that's totally I, how it went down. It's also a bit of kind of Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan-esque American folktale style. Oh, that really yeah. shouldn't happen. Oh yeah. We totally stopped that Griffin in the end of the cars. Oh, yeah, well, I challenged him to a drinking contest. Yeah. There was a smoke wizard or other strange thing like that, yeah. Stole the eye from the one-eyed witch. He told me my future, which was that I'd be the only one to steal it. Which, well, what do you know? <laughs> she said she couldn't see the future anymore, and I said, oh, darn. Oh, darn. <laughs> gonna, all of them are going to be from Wisconsin by the end of it. Oh, God. Made a whole bunch of sounds to scare Dick Griffin, I did, boy, howdy. This is all just going to become fodder for your halflings, isn't it? <laughs> no, they're Irish. It's going to be worse. No, oh, they're no. Wisconsinite Irish. Uh, Wisconsinite Irish mixed with a little Minnesotan. All right. Uh, I think it's uh, Andrew's final question. Yes, go ahead. Uh, this will go to Jared's uh, game. Is there going to be like, so I get it's like you're trying to become the beast you once were. Is that right? The central question is the last line. What makes you a beast? Is it the things you once were or the things that you try to do to keep it? Okay. My question is, will it, uh, I'm trying to think how to word it. Cause like, will it be like more going at it? Like, oh, it's like, you know, if you're trying to be the beast you once were, is it like more how you survive then? Or is it more like discovering yourself? So my thought is there's kind of a, there's a dichotomy here. There's the, there's the opportunity to try to recapture what you were. Or there's the opportunity to be what you are now or become what you could be now. So you can become whatever kind of monster you are, having lost the teeth you used to have, or you can try to get them back in some fashion. You only have the one thing left though. And right. the notes I made here, they could be a literal type of, you know, sink your teeth in and hold on. But the thing, as I wrote, was your one last strength, no matter what you still keep. So okay. kind of to Dave's point, what's your narrative leverage, right? Mm. That you still have, that you could argue defines what you were or is the beginning of what you'll become. It could be either of those things based on how you play, but it is the thing you still hold on to, that one last bite. I am also reminded of that very that, that uh, excellent uh, Batman the Animated Series episode of all the villains sitting around the table playing poker and talking about the time they almost got Batman. Yeah, <laughs> I I cannot find this anymore. It was buried somewhere on the Dungeon World Google Plus server. So then 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 Google circles. So Lord knows where that's navigated off to. But there's a premise similar to this. It wasn't a one sheet, but a short game where you played adventurers on your one last huzzah. I think it was called the chasm or something. And I'll never forget this because one of the qualities you could have was you've lost all your teeth, but your party understands you anyway. (laughs) 
that was one of your powers. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not necessarily that you are at the height of your magnificence in this. I, I, I see a bunch of themes about, like, you know, looking around, comparing old stories, wistfulness towards the days that were, or, you know, celebration of a life well lived, or you can take any of those things. Yeah. With all of these, there's, there's probably a need to run from the very material or concrete and anchored to the more abstract so that players have a range of leverage. Because I think, Dave, as you and I have found running one sheets, there's a need to ante up sooner. Mm-hmm. It's also because there's less description up front. People have a tendency to interpret things different ways. And the, that, that means you're going to have people who come to the table like throwing an orca through the table. Or, you know, having demon-possessed teddy bear toys. Right that they adopt as their fourth partner because they have enough hats to share around. There's a lot, there's a lot undefined. So there's a lot of rooms for the players, the players to make changes Mm -hmm. not with their characters, but with their narratives. And I think it's important because as even as the interview with Grant Grant emphasized, you want as with an action movie or something fast paced to let it happen because these are characters that may not survive the event. It's all right to go weird, bizarre, disastrous, unusual. You can put aside your reservations, provided again, as always, yeas and nos, bills and curtains, whatever language you want to use for what's permissible and what isn't. But you can put aside your usual restrictions as someone telling a story and go, okay, what's going to happen this time? Jared, your last question. Here's without number. Okay, sure. What happens when they go up? There's actually not a specific uh, problem. You're, what you're really asking is what happens if they backtrack? Um, don't have a specific answer for that. As the assumption is that either backtracking is not possible due to the trouble, or it's not possible due to things aren't the same when you go back. Given I had one of the few things I've written for this now is a table determining what kind of stairs you're on. And at least one of them, you're actually traveling up them, not down them, or at least in my envisioning you you are. But it doesn't much matter. You're still lost on the stairs. I think I'm going to pull uh, a note from my conversation with Stephen a while back about this wasn't at all about games, but narrative and philosophy. But we were talking about what you could see from where you were. And while the stairs might be infinite, as you've just said, your perspective is limited. So even if you could go back, what's to say what's there? Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to be codified so that the person running the game and the players both know that while the option's available, things will be different. In, as I said, and at least actually looking down on it, and at least one of them, it would be functionally impossible to travel back. Right. Um, anyway, like it, not just functionally impossible, but like the stairs aren't even linear. Um, you'll see when we get to the table, it, there's a very obvious example of stairs you would not be able to travel linearly with. But yeah, the, the basic idea is it doesn't much matter what the stairs are. You are traveling forward. And even if you travel backwards, you're still traveling forward in the sense of you have to continue on. You are going to find new things one way or the other. Is one of your staircases the back of a serpent that's constantly going through some hazard? No, but that would be absolutely fantastic. One of them, one of them is the MC Escher painting. Okay, obviously. I'm thinking, you know, the Super Mario level where you have to keep on spin jumping off of this. Oh, I, I was thinking of a snake way from BBZ. That works too, but that would be another very good example. Cause the, and I think this is a, a very this is one of those tables that's like you can pick from this table or use your own. 
And I think that's kind of an important clause to have with all of these is if your idea that you come up with in group is more interesting to you, mm-hmm. do that. And I should point out that my do that. play is a very good understanding of what's going on in this game, especially if you include the filler from the, the show. Yeah. There's events that take place on there. You can't stop fully, but those events you can stop for a little while. Yeah. So I think, for instance, in Andrew's game, while the majority focus might be on the cars, there's still a rail or something that the train, by nature of train, has to be held or bound to, right? Yeah. What's the guideline for it? What is it following? Could be, we've done space trains, for instance, in fiction and narrative at this point as well, silly as that can be. But again, this kind of game lends towards silly or surreal. They did Lasers and Feelings games, which was a train heist, but it became apparent as they're sitting there waiting for the next train to arrive with their loot that the heist itself was just a means of transporting them all to purgatory. And as they're sitting there playing poker and all of them losing their hands to the unknown NPC at the table, they realize they're all losing to death over time. So very simple mechanic, but you can spin it in so many ways, depending on... Right. Or... uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the carriage that just keeps on rolling by throughout all of the scenes. I won't say more than that to not spoil the weirdness that is the Western miniseries, including, God, why am I blanking on his name now? Tom Waits. Tom Waits is a gold digger fighting holes and donkeys. I say these things because while there is a train and there is a rail and there are things at the end of the train that people want to acquire, there could be things around. Right. Give body and substance. And I think that's true as much as, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out here is how do we ascertain what environmentally or within the world itself is established up front so that there are tools, there are things in the world that are alive that can come into play. Also, as just a quick side note, I find it amusing that uh, one of these games, people are on the journey already, don't know how they started, don't know where they're going. One of them seems to be about the journey as told by a bunch of people after the fact sitting around and talking about it. <laughs> I, I was just thinking back to the rail thing. I'm kind of, I, I would say that's almost kind of left up to interpretation because it's like, on one hand, I could see it being like a snow piercer thing where it's like, you leave the train, you die. Or it could also just be something like, like, uh, like if you were to get off, you're just kind of stuck there, but it's not really that bad. Either way, it sounds like if you leave the train, the story's over. Whether that's because you functionally would die, like Snowpiercer, or it's because, oh, hey, you fell off the train, that means you aren't going to manage to succeed at the heist. You're, you're basically leaving the story, yeah. So neither one of those, that's an automatic skip to jump to the future as everyone goes, but if that happened, you wouldn't have succeeded and you wouldn't be here, so tell it right. Yeah. And, and you kind of have this um, this moment of, it's kind of a game over and a restart. Yeah. You are filled with determination. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I was going to say is, I do think you need to have some type of guiding question. It can have options that are rollable, but something as simple as what guides the train. Okay. So that there are suggestions, but there's also the question itself. Kind of like when I ran the, the Faranor, the the plane shifting alchemical city for you guys i had three or four questions that defined a lot of the city i think those kinds of inter or even with academy world one of the most fruitful questions there was friend foe or rival why are they at the school you know very simple one-line question but it led to three deeply different answers that had huge impacts on the narrative and the players stories 
It, it's interesting because a lot of one pages build in what you want. Honey yeah. Heist is like you're trying to build, you're trying to get honey. There's there's no question about that. But in all three of ours, it seems like it's very important to find out, before, like in the setup for the game, what the characters want, and that can vary from game to game. I so what I wrote to kind of throw out what I would have put on the sheet just as a, a first draft. First question was name your beast, the creature you were and still try to be. The second was what's your fang, your one last strength that no matter what you still keep. The third, and your sweet, the thing that you love or couldn't give up to which you lost the rest of your teeth. Because I feel like there needs to be a certain kind of tension. There's a reason you aren't what you were anymore. What is it? Because that's something that should still matter now in the play. The last thing I had written down was then choose or let the dice say your three primal instincts. The things that you do when you can't decide. And here I was thinking twofold. One, sometimes new players in particular, or even veteran ones, suffer from a decision paralysis. There's so much I could do, what do I do, right? Mm-hmm. But there are also times where you've pushed the story and you're rolling it so far that something seems inevitable. What of these things is the inevitability? So under primal instincts, I jotted down so far, flight or, uh, fight, flight or flight, shed, eat, be still or hide, keep hoarding or transmogrify. Mm. Just as kind of either you've pushed to, if we're doing sweet versus fang, for instance, as a spectrum of results, if you push too far to one or the other, like too far to fang, too much to primal or whatever that language is, you do one of these things. You choose three. This list isn't complete, but you choose one of the three. And that that decides what you're going to do in this moment where you indulge in being the beast. Kind of like how in Honey Heist, there's what, bear and criminal? Mm-hmm. If you push too much to bear, eventually you're a bear, you steal the honey and you're out of the game. If you push too much to criminal, you forget that you're a bear and you steal the honey from everyone else and they lose the game. So there's this thing that keeps everyone from trying to ramp up entirely, but always pushing along the way. And I was trying to figure out what for say, like the sweet version of that would be, or the, the thing that's kind of tamed you. But I did like the idea of giving the players something that no matter what, this is the thing I could, I, I'd be in this moment. You're basically kind of doing what Wanderhome does, where it's like you can always do these set of things almost. Right. I, I limited the always into specific circumstances, but by that same thing, Fang is you can always, because that's what you still are. Primal instincts are when pushed to the limit. The, the impression I get of your game is that it's mostly a bunch of monsters sitting around the fire. So we're not talking about a lot of like physical activities. You know, it's not going to be like, well, I can always, I can move anything because that's not going to come up. I think what you're describing is the initial scene. Okay. So you are thinking more of a, a last ride as well. I feel like there has to be a reason they're all gathered at the campfire tonight. And that's probably a leading question I would have is why are you all gathered at the campfire tonight? I mean, if we're going more beast, it could be certain kinds of food. It- I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking of it like if it's like, if it's beasts, it could be something like campsite sort of thing that was attacked or. Just so you know, my autocorrect changed campfire tonight to vampire yogurt. (laughs) That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Does it suck you or does it just suck? (laughs) I think it's like that hummus that is just the steamed chickpeas without anything else. (laughs) It reminds me of one of my favorite Discworld lines in Clash. They believe in vampire watermelons. What they believe in about vampire watermelons is anybody's guess. Possibly they suck back. I vampire yogurt is a bad punk emo band. Either that or an ash flavored yogurt. 
Vegan vampires. Except that actually yogurt is not vegan, so never mind. I, I was, mm. was going to say, I don't think ash falls under vegan. <laughs> would it though? I, I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to think of the super vegan that would say no because you used wood and fire to make that ash. Oh no, ash, ash is absolutely fine as long as it's just wood, wood and fire. It's the yogurt. It is a living thing. Yeah. So yeah, I do think, I do, I do think we all need kind of the initial scene or the initial setup question there. Why are you all in this together this time? Or whatever that language is. You know, I don't think the why the staircase exists needs to be answered. That's something in the game that we that would be defined. I'm also not entirely certain that stairs without number needs the why are you together? Because there's a certain element of you don't entirely remember why you're on the stairs. So you're just... You're almost kind of going the Langoliers approach, which is you're on the plane. Exactly. <laughs> You're together because does anybody really want to brave the stairs alone? And the trouble makes you all move when it comes. It's each person. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. I, I haven't fully decided on that part yet. Which game would we like to start with? It sounds like we're headed pretty well down um, wolves without teeth. Maybe, but I want to jump onto the idea of the trouble because in all of these games, there's an urgency, a thing that gives urgency. And your premise seems to have the most, well, Yours or Andrew's seems to have the most obvious one. Although, again, I think yours, because Andrew's, the question is, why don't they just stay on the car they're on? We know they have to get to the end car, but what keeps them moving, right? Yeah. What's nipping at their heels? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we dive into yours for a bit and talk about the trouble first? Okay. So this is one uh, This is one that I don't think we can get into without talking about like my early ideas for the conflict resolution mechanic. The because every one page has, well, not everyone, but they like a one page is where there can you need one has to have a, a resolution mechanic. Your honey heist has the the rolls that you make that push you towards criminal or bear. Lasers and feelings has you rolling either lasers or feelings, and very often they use some kind of um, metric that that moves things. And a situation is either successful if lasers are the right thing or feelings are. Unless you laser feelings, in which case, do whatever. The the mechanic that I'm thinking, uh, roughly speaking, is that you that you are trying to achieve certain goals, and it's a very straightforward role. Probably something along the lines of if you're untalented at it, it's like a single d6. If you are talented at it, it's you get two or something like that. Uh, I haven't worked that part out yet, but anytime you fail the role. You have the option of you can let it fail or you can have a success anyway, but your trouble gets closer. And the way I was, this is very hazy in my head right now, but the way I was thinking about it is that each person has a trouble and that trouble can be an actual thing that's following them or it can be something like an addiction or, you know, anger problems or something like that. So when that manifests, that like so when the their trouble gets closer, that's how that manifests. That's how it changes the scene. But also, when your trouble, when the overall trouble reaches a certain threshold, when you've had enough people accept that trouble, your trouble comes and you're forced to move on. Whether that is because the people around you reject you and you have to move on, or the thing that's chasing you uh, comes. When you say people, are you talking players? Or are you talking whoever else is on the stairs? Uh, it depends. Uh, again, grand tradition. Uh, there could be a minotaur uh, that is that is chasing a monster that chases through, and you have to leave. It could just be that because uh, I've gone back and forth on this one that you're finding small enclaves of people living on the stairs. 
and they will run you out of town. I feel like there's a combination of Don't Rest Your Head and The Walking Dead to this. There's a certain amount of that. And uh, I, I guess the, the, the conflict resolution should be it's a certain amount of failures because you will succeed, but your trouble still rears itself. I think, honestly, your two primary impulses in the game are stay or go. Yes, basically. Yeah. And so you're rolling stay or go. Because uh, it's always a question. Certain, exactly. So it's always a question of, in each time, am I deciding one or the other? Am I better at one or the other? You can use the player get to define how stay or go works for you, because that's probably tied to what you're good at, what you're bad at, what, you know, what, what your trouble is. But you stay or go as a group. That, that's the thing. You're, when, you're, when you fail the role, it is your trouble that rises. Right. But when that threshold has been met, trouble in general has arrived and you have to go. So I feel like what you have there is a pool of failed results, a pool of successful results. And once they pass a certain threshold, if it's failures, someone's trouble, probably the last person to roll failure, although maybe not necessarily because that might not fit narratively, but sometimes the weirdness of that, see like a Kool-Aid man dropping through a well is, you know, neat to do in a one shot. Yeah, I, I think if I think it's a kind of a golden opportunity moment as well. I also think that golden opportunity wise, if you just play straight into your trouble, you trouble comes like you don't have to roll right. for it. Sideboxing here, golden opportunity, since we haven't used the term on this show, I don't think in a while. Mm-hmm. You want to explain briefly? Golden opportunity is when narratively you have called like you're you have done something that the narrative demands uh, a certain result from there is no roll uh, or anything. If you jump off a cliff, like you've essentially given the the DM narrative weight to deal you fall damage. It's okay. I jump off a cliff. There's a choice one of okay. Decision one: Do you land? Decision two: What do you land in? Yeah. Or as in certain books, or number forty twos are important. Do you fall up? I think I think there were, we're overcomplicating this though. The, the point is that in narrative, if the players have done a certain thing that just simply must entail a certain outcome, that outcome happens. If they are so good at a certain task that when they do it, they succeed, they succeed without role. Because effectively, it's not interesting to focus on it. Right. So let's say you're fighting a dragon, all right, and you know you have one player who's dodging and weaving and all of that. So you know if you would actually need to like roll to determine if the dragon hits him or not. The other pro player walks up and sticks his head in the dragon's mouth. You don't have to roll to find out what's going to happen. You say that because it happened. I grabbed the dragon's tongue. Okay. (laughs) You get burned. I think importantly, particularly in these kinds of compressed narratives, conflict is essential. So actions and behaviors that don't lead to conflict, whether internal or external, don't need much adjudication. They do or don't happen accordingly. The golden opportunity is, I think, as Dave's pointed out, when you have that nice little conjunction of rules of world story and character, where these things are inevitable because of everything that's occurred before. So what I'm thinking of with the trouble in a golden opportunity is if you you have a trouble that's liable to come out, let's say you have a, a very short temper. So if, you, if you've got this trouble of like short temper and you just immediately go into some place and, and, and start acting all angry and alienating people with your, your temper without trying to accomplish anything, you've still invoked your trouble. Is it terrible of me that I actually want to rename it Short Fuse so that you can be explosive when you need to? I mean, <laughs> so, 
So, so that's the conflict resolution that I'm, uh, and I, I think you you uh, hit the nail on the head when you said that there's there's a there's kind of a countdown to both. You're trying to achieve something. You're trying to find what you're looking for, and you and and achieve certain milestones before you're supposed to to move on. And if you manage to achieve that milestone, your character is is closer, or maybe just does um, achieve what they want, and whether that be I, some of the, the ones I jotted down as potentials uh, of, of what characters might want are a place to call home, uh, finding out what they are, finding the way to make things right. I'm wondering if is a parallel then the train robbery game mm-hmm. should have factors that affect the treasure you find at the end so that I don't want to say, I don't want to punish failure per se because failure in these kinds of games should lead into an interesting result as they should in any narrative. Right. I do feel like the risk is that the more harm you bring about to the train or the more cars you succeed terribly at, the more you diminish the treasure in some fashion. I'm trying, I'm trying to think if like if it would diminish in value or if it would be more so like like you wanted this thing, but instead you got this thing or like a lesser extent of it. Right. Because as you said, the treasure is what the treasure is depends on the player. I think you're going about it the wrong way. Okay. I think you've got two scenes, right? You've got the train robbery and you've got the telling about it afterwards. I think the amount of damage you cause or, or your failures um, reflect the goodwill of your audience at the end. So in other words, we're going to go a bit more like fiasco here, which is how much did they really believe you? How much do they believe you? How much are they like, you know, like... Yeah, it, it's how how much can you get? How much can you tell? How many drinks do you have to buy them? That kind of thing. So, in other words, it like and some of it can be other things. It can be like, well, I mean, here's another audience mechanic, right? You cause enough damage on the train, the authorities are after you more. So you might have someone who's trying to catch you in the audience, or I don't know how that would work, but like you've changed the nature of the audience by the amount of damage. You've got an angry member going, hey, that was my car on the train. You owe me a lot of money. Or it could also be like you have a lesser audience itself because you're, you know, if you're if you're on the chase by the authorities, it's like you're not gonna have it would change it, but it would change like the scope and size of it because you're on the run. I, I do like I do like the term authority because it applies equally to the law of officers chasing you on the train, whatever they are, physical, metaphysical, etc., as well as the folks in the audience who are going to challenge your version of the story. So the higher, the more failure you make, the more failures that arise, the more authority goes up. In the train robbery scenes, that's what's chasing you. In the narrative scenes, it's who challenges whether or not you succeeded and got what you came for. Right. So they might be two separate counters or it might just be an overall authority meter that bleeds over into the latter. So you don't actually want to have much authority in the beginning. Inevitably, you're going to get authority because people are going to fail roles. You're going to take risky behaviors. You're going to make mistakes. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. So authority will build up, but the more authority that builds up in the train robbery sequences, the more challenging the audience becomes later on. Right. So then that screams out a very important question. Why do you need the, like, what, what is important about your tale at the end? Why do you need to be telling it? Something about the treasure loses value unless it's recognized. I like that idea. It's not a horde. It's not like you're a dragon that needs to collect. There's something yeah. About that. Well, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. Because it's like, if we're approaching it like the Persona 5 style, like, oh, it's not, 
physical treasure, it's what do you most desire incarnate, then yeah, it loses value. Who's going to know you're an awesome thief if they don't know what you stole? Or even just, you know, it seems like, well, you seemed like you didn't really achieve your goal because look at what you took or gained from it. Uh, but I got the witch's eye. <laughs> I could tell the future. I'm reminded of the end of like various like heist style movies like uh, Now You See Me or I had another one in mind. But the point is that like you've also got you kind of got that brush off at the end. Uh, Maverick would be another good example. Oh, you've got that brush off at the end because there's also who's left holding the bag. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so you also have like this story is going to determine who you've got, who's come to confront you and how many threats um, you have. Like maybe there can be a resolution mechanic uh, at the end. that's something like you've got X number of swerves that you've managed to, to or tilts that you've managed to uh, put together over the course of the game. And you've got X number of enmity in the audience at the end. and each tilt lets you offload some of the responsibility onto some of the other people. Possibly each of the characters has certain bonuses in doing that kind of thing so that you can kind of leave someone who's after you holding the bag and all the, all the rest of them are there, but we'd like some kind of mechanic that makes it, you know, like that, ha ha, you got uh, like, uh, like someone else got caught out. Yeah. Right, you you want the ending, you want the possibility of the ending, for instance, where you're all in the saloon or whatever the setting is for this space station and so on, sharing the grand tale, the authorities come in at the end, and the only person that they spot is the one left holding the bag, which of course doesn't have the prize in it anymore. Right. Right. Which if you're if you're uh, like really lucky at the game, isn't any of the player characters. But if it has to be, it has to be. Um, or it can also be you get away scot-free, but you don't get away with the treasure. Someone else manages to take it from you. And it's like whatever works is a very satisfying ending. But how many tilts and how many enmities you've built up determines like how you resolve that ending. I would look at Our Last Best Hope, which has an accumulative between, between Acts 1 and 2 and escalating mechanic. Because in all aspects, hope of course, people have to give themselves up to make the story go on. Right. And they get they get to call a success at the cost of their life, and then do flashback scenes afterwards to continue fleshing out character. But at the very end, you take the pool of successes and failures, you pair them against each other, and the remaining number indicates just how well or poorly you did. So I don't know if you need to go that deeply, but I think to Dave's point, it could be something as simple as what's the counter to authority. Right. So that, or whatever term you end up using, enmity and so on, so that by the time you get to the resolution stage, there are options that the players can then go, oh yeah, but this is how it happens. I mean, I would I would keep it fairly simple for a one page. I would keep it along the lines of, if you have more enmity than uh, than tilts, something bad's going to happen, and it's going to be a resolute like the you either have like a number of your uh, party are caught. Or someone else gets away with the treasure, and now the next, which leads to a to be continued in a potential other game where you have to to, to track them down. And if you have more tilts than uh, enmity, you get to get that karmic justice on people who have been in your way. I think it'd probably be a simple. I don't know the exact numbers here because it depends on how the stuff pools, and you'd have to fine tune it. But let's just say positive five to negative five, or six to six, because we're using a d six. Oh, yeah, go for it. Let's just say one to two as a result, 
three to four is a result, five to six is the best, and vice versa. So there's great success, there's partial, and then there's, oh, God, we got through barely. Oh, I just I just had an idea, but you, Andrew, you'll have to say whether this is something that, that feels within theme for your game or not. Every, every one of the players or every one of the characters has some extra goal they have during the heist. And if they manage to do it, they will get a good ending no matter what else happens. They'll get away. But each thing complicates and dunks the entire group into, uh, like, escalates the entire group in group's problems. So so basically a goal that if that in order to succeed that secondary goal, you have to screw over everybody else. Screw over maybe putting it strong, but you certainly have to complicate it. So it could be drop information. It could be screw over. It could be you're a spy and you need to, you know, do an information drop on the rest of your co-conspirators somewhere along the way. Um, yeah. Or it could be I have this additional thing I want to steal, but oh boy, is that going to raise the heat on everyone else? Or right. we have to, or, or like that's going to make the, you know, it might be there's there, there's something that the moment you take it, alarm bells are going to ring and the heat on the train is going to be that much. <laughs> right. Um, you have a reason to complicate the entire thing for the group to make it harder to get that overall good ending, but you're going to get, your ending is going to be good regardless. Yeah. No, I, I like that idea. Yeah. Cause it kind of, gets a little PvP a little bit in a way. Yeah. I've been listening to this kind of tr- playing around with what the the urgency is in Wolves Without Teeth. And I think, as is common among the oldest of us, there's this fear that you're the last of the true and the right, even if in all likelihood you're no longer what you were to begin with. So there's this tension, I think, between past and tradition and whatever comes next. And I'm trying to figure out what the urgency mechanism is that drives this that is the fundamental thing because it, it, it's got to define uh maybe that's something that's rolled maybe it's like the last night and what are you going to do on the last night but maybe it's maybe it's there's one last threat to go down fighting or something like that but i think that might be something that's different each time so something as simple as what's the last threat you can fight right or you know, you've been challenged or even just you know you need to find you need to become something different or else the the beast you are now won't survive in the wilds because it could be it could become something it could be something as simple as urbanization right yeah if your food supply is dwindling and all the things that you would hide in or be safe your, your living, kingdom as it were is falling to pieces or you are the monster that lives under children's beds and there are and the last of the children have grown up in in your house yeah, they put in nightlights. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're if one of your primal instincts is be still or hide, or if you're some type of shadow creature or whatever, yeah. You're a boogeyman. I suppose one of the primal instincts should be go bump in the night. Yeah. I mean, if you're going into that more like, you know, it doesn't have to be a beast beast. It could be something like a boogeyman or a insert SCP number here. I, I wonder, well, a lot of these tend to have flavors or variants too. I don't know if per se I'd want to go too deep into the monsters as a general category, because then you water down the... I mean, I think, yeah, I think with Wolves Without Teeth, there's the kind of an implication that you are cre- that you are monsters of the wild, yes. despite the boogeyman thing I made earlier. It, but it doesn't have to be, but I think that we that we should focus on that as far as the build. Let's, let's look at a different axis then. As Stairs Without Number has stay or go, what's the equivalent in Wolves Without Teeth? It sounds like wild is one of them, right? Wild or wary, 
or something like that. I don't, the, the, the actual particular words aren't as important as what's the tension, the tension they provide. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's glory or diminishment. It's, it's, uh, if, if we're going to do it as a binary, there's, there's reclaim your glory uh, or there's a death. Yeah. That's what I didn't want them. I didn't want one to be the bad choice. I don't want one to be the bad choice. Could also be wilder adept. If you're going, if wild is the the beast you're trying to be to reestablish yourself as, if it's reestablish yourself as something you once were, it could oh, just be wild or weary. Yeah, and How's like that? if it's weary, it's because you're an old beast, which means maybe people will take pity on you, feed you, or give you water or something. Yeah, and you have to change as a result of being weary now. Yeah, you might be pathetic, but at least you get by. Yeah, I like that. Another way, it's change or die. It's the you're, you go out in glory, you reclaim what you were, but you also you don't necessarily die. But you're not going to bring about like if if wolves used to rule the woods, right, and no one would step foot in them. You're not bringing that back. The very fact that you're at this at this stage where you're having to look at it, if you go legendary, yeah, it's it's not. Like you're not taking it back to what it once was, but you're carving your legend in. Whether that means you die that night or you're set in your ways until they hunt you down or what have you. It would basically be you either reclaim the woods for yourself or you end up in a zoo. Kind of, yeah. That's if you get too far into weary, you're captive. Yeah. There's no beast left in you. But I think if you get too far into wild or legend or whatever you want to call it, you are absolutely go out in a blaze of glory. Abyss lifting you, wild goes out in a blaze of glory. I am, but I, I think because you're talking about a group of old monster, for them specifically, there is no reclaiming. Like you may get it so that wolves rule the woods again, but you're not going to be with them for much longer, one way or another. I think you know, as there's a resolution in the great heist game, the legacy phase at the end, what comes after, which depends on what the play was like. Um, you're familiar with Yoko Taro and his particular style of game, narrative storytelling, right? So the newer series, Automata, um, Replicant, Drakengard, often dark and terrible and tormented choices. They had a mobile game version of all that where you go through a bunch of these kind of mini stories. And one of them, you are this pathetic downtrodden girl who is at the very bottom of the social order. And there's a side quest where you can go and wander into the Parliament of Nobles to plead your case. And your two dialogue choices are whimper pathetically or bemoan your existence. <laughs> I kind of said, that's just Yoko Taro games. <laughs> <In a nutshell. laughs> that's not a choice. I appreciated the dark humor because he was making fun of himself there, but also come on, man. I do think to Dave's point. Yeah. If too much of the group goes out in glory, there's a consequence If too much of the group goes out wearily. There's a consequence, and there may not be bad. Maybe survival is the thing you all wanted. Yeah, I, I would say that depends on the player, yeah. I, I keep coming back to, though, if it's... You, you, you seem to have two potential styles of play, um, which is one that the entire game is around the campfire as you're deciding what to do. And the other one is that it starts with the campfire, and then you go out. So we're saying in style one, the last scene is when you go out and do. Right. That's kind of an interesting social game. Yes. Yeah. And, and when you first described it to me, that's what popped into my head. That the, 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 this was all going to end when you left the, the campfire. 
kind of like the it's kind of an interesting parallel to Andrew's game because the the focus on the the social aspect is there, but you're also going to relive old times around the campfire. Oh, definitely. And you're going to challenge each other about what happened during those. So probably relive old times as a move or something like that, right? Or a mm-hmm. scene you have during the game. And I would think that that challenge someone, you know, like like challenge someone's identity is a move. Like where you like where you call them a coward. Yeah, yeah. Hey, didn't you used to be someone or, 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 you know, look at you, you were never this courageous in the past or that kind of thing. I think challenge identity is just, you used to be, and then dot, dot, dot. Exactly. And there's, there's sort of a, there's sort of a masks element to that where, where basically they get a choice of, all right, well, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to live into it or am I going to. But that, what that kind of interestingly does is on Honey Heist, it's your choice that determines whether or not your bear criminal goes up and down, but playing here, other players get to nudge your direction, what you are in which direction, whether you're wild or weary. Well, I think it's how you respond to them that, that nudges it. You know, like if they go, didn't you used to be, well, you have the choice of, you know, going, you know, yeah, I did. And I should be that way again. Or it's like, yeah. And then I learned, come on. I like that. So in a way, the final, what happens at the very end is not entirely known. You know what mm-hmm. everyone decides to do. But the final or ultimate consequences of that are left in the open. That's kind of a 12 angry men feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. But then you need something that propels them to interact. Yeah. So again, the question of urgency. I think we go back to it's a campfire at night, sunrise. But what would keep a player um, or a character from just staying silent the entire time? Like, why are they going to be nipping at each other's throats? I mean, yeah, with a game like Wolves Without Fangs, the implication is, yeah, they're going to be looking for weakness, spotting it, nipping at each other, sparring, not physically sparring per se, but like. I think I think you go honestly to Watership Down because the whole first stage of Watership Down is the five are having this premonition of the monsters that will come and tear their home apart. And everyone believes he's a lunatic and hallucinating until the day they wake up and the dredgers are there tearing the worms apart. I think. Rather than having that be a matter of days, it's come sunrise, man or whatever the threat is, is moving in. Whether those are hunters or rivals or some other thing that will take your place. Or Forest strangers. <laughs> they're they're going to capture you and put you into zoos. And maybe that particular thing is a thing that gets like with Honey Ice, the, where, the, what, where the honey gets stolen from. That varies by game. Maybe the thing that's going to come by sunrise changes, but it's always going to come by sunrise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in a way, this is a sort of a council of war, like what you what we're all going to do about it. But it also is determining what each person's going to do. What are we going to do and who am I in it? Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to go watership down on this, but it kind of feels right. It might be that there's a very good turn mechanic, uh, a very good resolution here where you go around the table three times and each person chooses one other person to interact with. um, And, you know, hopefully based off of what's already been going on, what they, you know, what they want out of the small that and they're trying to to work them up to it or play them down to it or whatever. What you've got then is each player gets to choose from a set of moves, whether it's challenge them, relive all glory, etc. And once everyone's done that, a set amount of time passes. Exactly. And then each move has a benefit to the player who makes it and an opportunity for the person who receives it. 
as a benefit for player and opportunity for recipient. And then regardless of whether it's a pack of five or two or whatever, three or four rounds, you know, depending on how, you, how much time is allotted for that, and that passes, it's come sunrise, now you have to decide. Mm-hmm. I think maybe you have something similar to authority or enmity or whatever, where there's a, there's a group pool of wild or weary or something equivalent that pushes in a direction for the whole. But there's, I don't know, because it feels like ultimately, to your point, there are the two things that get decided. What do we do and who am I? And those might be very different things, which lead to different results. Maybe the group decides to go away, but you separate. That's one narrative path that arises. Or you go anyway to whatever that is. I think that's essentially what you want there. Um, you might be able to spice it up by having like each person have like a specific take they want in it. Like one person really wants to um, like wants to be remembered one person or you know like like one person really wants to have one last x whatever that is i think i think that goes back to the question maybe sweet's not the right word but the thing that you lost all your teeth to before there's a reason you've suffered for that and and there's a reason you suffered for that and it's the one and it's one thing you cannot sacrifice just like your fang is your one last bite you have this is the thing you need for you yeah So if, if for whatever reason, the plan starts saying like, well, maybe it's like, you know, we, if, if someone suggests the story, like we need to just go and like take, I, I don't know, it says some, we need to go and we need to take over the woods. No humans are allowed, no more interacting. We are, we are, we like, that is ours. The rest is theirs more, and never the twain shall meet. Then someone who's, who's sweet involves interacting with the humans or whatever. Uh, again, this is assuming a lot can't take that they're not going to be able to go with that i I like the idea of sweet because it does play into the idea of domestication that you are giving up it's the and i think probably similar we if you act on sweet you gain weary if you act on fang you gain wild so there's that tension too if you act too much on fang you go out in a blaze no matter what else anyone does and maybe you're not cut out of the rest of the game because you'll still wait till the final decision is made but whatever decision is made if you've gone too far on Fang, you're going to go out in a blaze. Likewise, if you go too far on Sweet, or Weary rather, by playing Sweet, then you're living captivity, whatever that means. I, yeah, I think if you I think if you go too far in Fang, you lose your Sweet. Right. Whatever that, whatever that is. And if you go too far in Sweet, you lose your last Fang. You can still roll and all of that kind of thing, because the rest of the mechanics stay the same. But without that, those anchoring points, you're... Like if you if you are just Fang, you recede into legend, and if you are just Sweet, you are you recede like you you become normal. Right. So that gives the individual player tension alongside the group decision tension. I think it makes sense. It does. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think that's enough to write that one up, and and when we and review later on. A good story can excite us. Yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.